Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode eight of season three of the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth. This week we are doing a classic Q&A episode with questions that I have received from you over the past few weeks and I think are interesting to talk about and on a variety of topics. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is always fun for me. I love doing these types of episodes and I think it breaks up the single topic nature of a lot of the episodes that I do do. So something just a little bit different. So congratulations to everybody who got into the New York City Marathon Lottery. I know you may feel excited, daunted, a little scared. If you haven't run New York before or if you have, you know what an amazing experience it's going to be. If you are looking for help with your training, we have so much experience on our team with coaching New York City marathoners. So if you are looking for help, with your New York City Marathon prep. We have space available in our one-on-one client roster. You can learn more going to runningexplained.co slash coaching. Let's get into it. Here we go. Questions, questions, questions. Question number one. If I do a glute activation pre-run, will my glutes stay activated during my run? This is a great question because I think it's a teachable moment to understand the buzzword of activation and what we're, that what that actually means. So broadly speaking, right? If your glutes weren't activated, you wouldn't be able to run at all. So of course, of course, your glutes are going to be activated, and that simply means firing, contracting while you run. Your glutes are activated right now if you're doing any type of ambulatory movement. But what we're really talking about when we say specifically activation, especially a pre-run warm-up glute activation, a series of exercises, is warming up that specific muscle group, targeting your glute complex specifically to warm it up in preparation for your run. And warming up means not just, you know, delivering, you know, getting the blood vessels dilated and warming up, literally warming up your muscles, right? Like you're warming up a car you know, prepping those muscles for the work you're about to do by warming them up, but also um, getting them uh, neuromuscularly kind of in line with the rest of your muscles that are going to help you run. So we've talked about this on a couple episodes about how your body is is interconnected, right? So your glutes and your the rest of your the muscles in your lower legs and your ankles and your feet, like it's all connected. And when you run, everything has to move and fire in a very specific way and order and amount to run properly. Otherwise, you know, you get one muscle group that's doing too much work. If another muscle group isn't firing in sync with the rest of the muscles, or if it's not, if that muscle group is not strong enough to do the work it's being asked to do, this happens a lot with runners and their glutes, especially their glute medius, but a lot of other muscles in, in uh, the lower leg that runners can have issues with. So broadly speaking, yes, of course, if you are 
running, your glutes are activated. Now, to what degree and how successfully your glute is being integrated into the neuromuscular process of you running, I think is what the question really is, right? So if you know that you specifically have issues with your glute complex, say, oh, it's, you know, it's weak, right? There are things you can do outside of your running, even outside of your running warm up, to help ameliorate that. So that would be when we bring in strength training, right? Making sure all the muscles that we're using when we run are strong enough to do the things they're supposed to be doing, right? Do your job. Are you strong enough to do your job? That's what we're trying to get them to do. When you are warming up pre run, yes, you should aim to warm up all of the muscle groups we'll be using when you run and if you know that you have a particularly tricky or you know uh lazy it's not really a thing right but it feels that way sometimes lazy glute complex doing pre-run exercises that help specifically target your glute complex can help make it more likely that it will be sufficiently warm and in sync with the rest of your muscle groups that you will run more efficiently and it will feel smoother is what we're really trying to get at, right? So when you see all these people doing glute activation exercises, it's there's nothing fancy to it, right? Most major lower leg uh, exercises are going to target your glutes in some capacity. Now, of course, there's things like lunges and squats and, and different ways to, you know, things with bands you can do, right? So it, it doesn't need to be like sexy or fancy or proprietary. Um, if you're just doing something in your pre-run warm-up that is dynamic, right? So not static stretching, dynamic exercise, dynamic movement that that uh, warms up the muscles you're going to be using in your run. Yes, those muscles will then stay active, right? As you continue running. Now, if we're going to the other end of this and saying, it seems like when I run, I'm having real issues with my glutes, right? And your glutes are three muscles, actually, your giant gluteus maximus, uh, your glute med on the side, and then your glute minimus. Um, this would be something to get a, a physical therapist involved in, right? Because as I've said, it's not just about how strong or engaged or active your muscles are. It's are they firing in sync? And we've talked about this on a couple episodes, specifically about running form. We've talked about this on episodes with um, Dr. Marie Witt. Um, this is one of our favorite topics. What up, girl? Uh, to talk about, you know, everything kind of firing in sync. So if you feel like you're doing all of this stuff, like I'm, I'm working on my glute strength, I'm doing all these glute activation exercises before I run, but when I start running, it feels like something just isn't working or isn't in sync. And that could be a really great time to get a physical therapist involved to help work on more of that neuromotor control, the way that your whole kind of system works together, works uh you know, to help make you run. Um, and so, yes, <laughs> the the very, very short answer, if you didn't want to listen to all of that for some reason is, yep, totally. Yeah. But of course, there's always a lot more behind the scenes about what's actually happening in your body uh, when we're doing any sort of uh, the reason behind we might want to do some of these exercises and what's actually happening. So you 100% should warm up. This is not me saying don't warm up. You absolutely should warm up. And if those exercises, those glute, you know, glute targeted um, dynamic exercises are working for you, awesome. Keep doing it. I think it's one of the things that um, some runners, you know, we kind of hop from thing to thing. Like, I'm going to try this. 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 Look, if you find something, whatever it is in your running that works for you, maybe it's a very specific type of pre-run warm up 
movement. Maybe it's a very specific flavor of gel. Maybe it's a very specific brand and color of sock, right? You know, there are so many variables in this sport. When you find something that works for you, like you hang on to it. You don't need to change something if it's working for you. This next question is a related question. Um, what are dynamic warm-up drills and how long should they take? So yes, a dynamic warm-up is in my mind part of, of your running. Like your warm-up is part of your run. If you're saying, I don't have time to do a warm-up, well, you need to take a couple minutes off your run and actually do a warm-up. Yeah, I know, unpopular opinion, but it's true. A dynamic warm-up is a what it sounds like. It's a it's an active um uh the period session, five, 10 minutes of movement exercises, activities that are helping warm up your body, literally warming up your muscles, right? Opening up blood vessels, bringing blood flow into the muscles you're going to be using, kind of kickstarting your body's ability, priming your body's ability to produce energy aerobically. So this is all very important so that we're not just kind of walking out our front door and just sprinting. I would even go so far as to say that for almost every run that you do, almost every run, maybe except for races, and even some races, the first part of your run technically also acts as an extension of your warm up. And something I see quite a bit is that, uh, you know, especially on easy runs, if a runner is going for a, an easy run and they kind of start out in the regular easy pace range and their heart rate kind of goes up pretty high, not not super high, but higher, right? So if you're aiming to stay in zone two for your easy effort run, your heart rate's like definitely hanging out in zone three and you're like, this, this doesn't feel hard. Why is my heart rate so high? Is there something wrong with my device? And then, you know, after maybe five, seven, 10 minutes, it starts to kind of, you know, go back down and then you find it really easy to stay in your easy zone for the rest of your run. Yeah, that's because you didn't warm up. That's not a failure of your device. I mean, it might be, but especially if you're using a heart rate strap, that's just you not warming up. That is your body basically defaulting to a bunch of anaerobic energy production because you were not primed to create energy anaerobically and you needed that five, seven, 10 minutes of running in order for your body to warm up, to be able to do what it wants to do aerobically and actually stay in the easy zone you're supposed to be in. So this is also really important for workouts, right? So you want to do a dynamic pre-run warm-up and then some easy effort running before you go into your workout, right? So when we're talking about how to structure our runs, pre-run dynamic warm-up at the beginning, first part of our run is always going to be easy effort, no matter what comes after it. <laughs> and then that for a lot of workouts, you may also have a cool down and easy effort cool down at the end. So dynamic, what does a dynamic warm-up mean? Like I said, a dynamic warm-up is simply an active, a set of active exercises, right? So dynamic compared to static, static meaning I just stand there and do something, static stretching, not before your run. And there's a huge debate about this. There's a lot of research about this. It, you know, and there are some studies that seem to suggest that if you include static stretching as part of a dynamic warm-up, it may not have some of these deleterious effects, um, but it, it might, right? So, uh, one thing we do know, right? Standing there is not a warm up, right? So the static stretching component just on the a surface of what it is, is not a sufficient warm up. Um, I'm not here to debate about whether you specifically should include static stretching in your warm up. I'd probably rather you didn't based on what I've seen of the research. Um, it probably won't kill you, but uh, if you are going to static stretch, I would save that for after your run. And please know that static stretching does not seem to uh, have any impact on your rate of muscle soreness. It does not seem to 
um, reduce the risk of overuse injuries. Uh, static stretching increases your flexibility, um, but we don't ne- necessarily want to increase our flexibility as runners. We want to increase our mobility, right? So our joints' ability to move through the range of motion um, under under tension, right? So, uh, anyways. I digress. We're talking about dynamic warm-up. So dynamic warm-up is something where you move. And so um, a very simple uh, way to do a dynamic warm-up is to do start doing things like, um, you know, leg swings, hip hurdles, high knees. You can even diagnose the people who do a couple jumping jacks to get their heart rate up, right? So not not don't go crazy. You're about to go for a run. You don't need to do a workout before you go for a run. But it's simply you know, warming, literally warming up your body, raising your heart rate, lubricating your joints, getting blood flow into the muscles that are going to be working hard when you run. And then of course we want it to be relatively lower body focused. So I'm not saying completely ignore your upper body, right? You may do things that include your, your core and and your upper body, but we are going to be focused on mobilizing and warming up our lower legs specifically. So like I said, Leg swings, high knees. I love hip hurdles. They're uh, uh, walking lunges, inchworms. Everybody's going to have and develop over time their own preferred dynamic warm up set. And if you've gone through PT for any reason, there may be a select number of exercises you've done with your physical therapist that for you specifically, you'd like to include in your pre-run warmup. So, you know, everybody's is going to look a little bit different. Uh, your pre-run warmup can be um, done, you know, just body weight kind of by yourself. Some people like to get some resistance bands involved in some of the stuff they do pre-run. Um, but a pre-run warmup is really important. Now, if you are a younger runner, or if you've been running since you were younger, you may not necessarily feel like a pre-run warmup is super important. And I, I'm here to categorically tell you that as you age, a pre-run warmup becomes even more important as we are trying to just kind of keep things in optimal condition. And I will also say, even for my younger runners, if you've been running competitively and you've been running super high mileage, I would highly recommend that you also include a pre-run. Everybody needs to include a pre-run warmup, but especially my higher mileage, more competitive, younger runners, a pre-run warmup is just going to help you, uh, feel better on your runs and your workouts. So yes, um, it should take, like I said, between five and 10 total minutes, depending on what specifically you are trying to do. Obviously a pre-run warmup becomes very important on days when it's colder out. So you may find that in the summer doing five minutes and then heading out the door when it's 75 or 80 degrees outside, you know, you feel pretty good. But conversely, if you do that same five minute warm up when it's winter, and you head out the door and you feel and you don't feel really warmed up or smooth or in it for a while, that means you need a longer warm up. And if anybody comes at me and says, well, lions don't warm up before that, buddy, you're not a lion. Okay, you're a human being who's a recreational endurance runner. <laughs> this is what we're trying to focus on, not you pretending to be a lion on the African plane. Dynamic warm up. Yes, you should do it. Five, 10 minutes. Uh, it'll make you feel better. I promise. Here's a question with a really simple answer. What are your favorite running sunglasses, Coach Elizabeth? I have to tell you, you probably know this, they are Gooder sunglasses. I've been wearing Gooder sunglasses for about five years now, and I still love them every single day. I am particularly gravitating towards the Mach G style right now. I've been wearing this gray pair for kind of everything, like when I run, when I'm out and about. They are awesome. Why do I love Gooders so much? Well, first of all, they're super affordable. They started only $25 a pair. So you can buy a million pairs. Well, maybe not a million, 
You can definitely buy more than one if you want to. And you know what? They are active sunglasses. You may lose them, sit on them, have something happen to them. And you know what? That's okay. You can just buy another pair. Gooder is also a 100% carbon neutral company and they're a 1% for the planet company. So that makes me feel good about what I'm doing in the company that I am supporting with this amazing product. Gooders are lightweight and super comfortable. They're 100% polarized. So many styles and amazing colors and color combos and color names to choose from. No slip, no bounce, and they don't fog, which I absolutely love. So if you want to get your own pair or pairs of Gooders, you can get free shipping off your next order using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P on Gooder.com to get free shipping on your next order of Gooder sunglasses. G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good. Run Gooder. This next question I get a lot and I understand where it's coming from and we're going to talk through it. I'm training for a half marathon and I'm new to easy running. How will I be prepared for half marathon pace if I'm only running easy? Okay, here we go. So the first thing I will say is if you are following a training plan that includes mostly easy running, right? So you may have some strides or hill repeats, you know, something, but it's it's mostly easy effort running that is simply a volume focused plan. Those plans are truly intended to help you just finish, finish strong in the race. So the goal of following a plan like that is not necessarily to be aiming for a specific performance goal or a very specific half marathon pace. Now that doesn't mean that you need to run your half marathon at your easy pace. Now, if you are in the three to four hour half marathon range, you may be running very close to your easy effort pace, but if you're running you know, 232, definitely think anything under than two for the half marathon, you are absolutely going to be running faster than your easy effort pace. So the question is a good one. How do I, how do I, how will I be able to sustain my half marathon pace if I'm only running easy in training? So I know this is a weird answer, but if you choose your effort appropriately, you will find that you will just be able to do it. I know, right? You're like, what? Yes, because one of the things that we are doing when we are building our aerobic base and our endurance and efficiency and all of the amazing, beautiful, wonderful things that come with spending time in our easy effort zone is, and I've said this before on other episodes, we are increasing our efficiency at everything above it as well. So we know that running, developing our aerobic capacity by spending time below our aerobic threshold, right? Colloquially known as zone two, zone one, zone two, in a five zone heart rate model. In this easy effort zone, we are doing things, things happen in that zone that also um, create systems in place that allow us to be more efficient at faster paces too, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. The stronger your aerobic base is, AKA faster, you know, better it is, the vaster, better, stronger, everything else is above it too. So one of the things that we know that um, developing your aerobic capacity does is that it has an impact on your uh, lactate threshold, right? So a, a, a higher intensity pace and it also has an impact on your VO2 max, right? One of the highest intensity paces you will race at. So, and that's all done through easy effort running. Now I'm not saying that down the road, 
you will continue to do 100% easy effort running. Eventually, if you have specific performance goals, you will need to follow a training plan that contains work that allows you to maximize your fitness in order to chase those specific performance goals. Um, But if you're following a plan that contains 98% easy effort running and you're worried about how will I be able to sustain race pace on race day, that's because what the work that you're doing in your easy effort zone is, is going to allow you to sustain that pace on race day. It's pretty cool um, what our body can do. And this is really one of the magic, kind of that trust the training, pro, you know, things that we talked about in a recent episode, what you can do when you put the pieces together in the right way, right? So one of the things that easy effort running does reg- with regards to our lactate threshold is that it increases our mitochondrial density and our capillary density. So what more powerhouses, right? More roads to the powerhouses. And in the mitochondria in our slow twitch muscle fibers is one of the places that lactate gets cleared to. So when lactate accumulates, as a byproduct of anaerobic energy production, right? So we're running in our at our half marathon pace, right? Running in zone three, we're running close to our lactate threshold. Kind of really anything above our easy effort, uh, easy effort ability. That's when lactate starts to accumulate. It gets cleared into these slow twitch muscle fibers into the mitochondria, and um, that's one of the things that allows you to run faster, farther without hitting your lactate threshold, right? Without succumbing to that accumulation of lactate and hydrogen ions. So what does this mean? It means you can sustain more in that moderate intensity zone, which is where you're going to be racing your half marathon. And it also, like I said, it's not as relevant for, you know, for your, uh, for half marathon, but it's important kind of for the, all the systems we're trying to develop is that one of the things that, easy effort running does with that same mitochondrial and capillary density, among other things, is that it increases basically how much oxygen you consume. And that's a direct uh, a direct part of what your VO2 max is, right? So your VO2 max is the maximum rate uh, of oxygen you can consume uh, at a specific intensity, and it improves that as well. So I think the big question is, kind of the sub subtext of this question is not how will I be able to sustain my half marathon pace? I, I, you will, I promise. If we choose the appropriate effort zone and pace range for you based on your current fitness, you you will, you should, right? I'm not the, this is the making guarantees, but you should be able to raise a half marathon successfully at your half marathon pace. But the question is, if I'm only running easy, how do I even know what that pace is? right? You're like, I'm running everything at 12 minutes per mile. I, I, this is nowhere near what I want my half marathon pace to be for this hypothetical athlete. How do I know what my half marathon pace even is? This is when tune-up races come into play. And if you followed any one of my training plans for a race, you'll understand that I have a suggestion, built-in suggestions of where and when to include something like a tune-up or a benchmark race. Now for a half marathon, the tune-up race or the uh, the race we would run in training in order to get some race experience to you know uh, battle test some race day gear and to see where our current fitness is so we can appropriately goal set for the half marathon that we're about to run or the race we're about to run at, at the end of the training plan is a 10k right so typically we want to race um, a, a tune-up race is going to be shorter than our goal race distance Because if you are racing a half marathon and you race a half marathon in training, you've just raced a half marathon. And it's possible that you've, um, shall we say, peaked too early and you have actually used all of the fitness that you were going to need on race day for your goal half marathon in training. We say don't race your workouts, don't leave your race in training. 
you may think that one of the best ways to prepare for your upcoming race is to race that race distance and training. And 95 times out of 100, that's simply not true. Okay. Um, the caveat to this is if you're training for a 5K, yeah, you can probably race a 5K and training. For a half marathon, the tune-up race distance is going to be a 10K. Our tune-up race can kind of be, I mean, it depends. If you genuinely have no idea where your fitness is, you're like, I don't, I have no idea how fast I could, I could run this, right? I genuinely have no clue how fast I would be capable of running a race distance. Um, absolutely going to need you to run a tune-up race. If you're interested in, in doing anything more than just easy running your race day. So this would be running a tune-up race, finding a 10K, uh, a local 10K, I would say at least, at least four weeks before your goal race. Why? Because the last few weeks of training for your race are your peak weeks and your taper, and you do not want to mess with those, right? So I'm going to pick a 10K. You could even do it before you even start your half marathon training cycle. You could also do a time trial, right? What is a time trial? A time trial is you racing the clock or you racing the distance on your own. So if you are going to do a time trial, I'd recommend that you choose a route that is relatively unobstructed, right? No, no going through every major intersection in your town (laughs) and getting no, you know, try not to stop your watch. You want to race it, run it as uninterrupted as possible and understand, okay, so if I ran the 10K in this time, I can use that to plug it into a pace equivalency calculator. There is one on my website. This calculator will help you take a race result or a, a how fast you ran X distance and tell you the rough equivalent of what that means at other paces, right? So if you've never raced a half marathon before and you go and do a a 10K and you run a 105, you can plug the 105 10K into the pace calculator and it will say, based on this 10K race result, your equivalent pace of the half marathon, the pace that we estimate you could run your half marathon at is this, and it'll tell you the pace, right? Remember, that's just a gu- it's just a guide. It's not a guarantee. You should still do ABC goal setting. Listen to Making Your Race Day Plan episode if you want to learn more about that, picking a range of goals. Um, but that's how. That's how. So uh, making sure you're setting an appropriate pace expectation, I guess. And then lastly, I'll say, you know, I know that we as a group, runners tend to be hyper goal oriented, Right. And it is exceedingly seductive to set goals for everything that you do and want to achieve them. And I want you to achieve them too. But here's the thing. The first time you race a new distance, you may have a goal in the back of your mind about what you want to finish at. But the first time you race a new distance, your ultimate goal is just to become acquainted with the distance. Right. And I know that some people say the first time you finish or the first time you you race a a new race distance, your goal should be just to finish. I don't I mean, I think, yeah, for some people, absolutely, it's going to be their goal. Like, I just want to I just want to do the distance like that is very challenging enough. And that's I have no further goals beyond that. I'm here to cross the finish line strong. I like to say it's about getting acquainted with the distance because racing is a skill and racing different distances require a slightly different skill set. Now, of course, there's a huge amount of, of uh, skill that translates, right? Um, but individual race distances are going to have different racing skill sets and different race experiences. So the very first time that you're racing a 10K, a 5K, a marathon, a half marathon, the very first time you run it, Although you may have a, a general goal about, okay, based on my current fitness, I should reasonably be able to finish it in this time. 
it is about you sidling up to that distance and saying hello and seeing what it's all about, right? So then when you continue to race those distances, you will have, like, okay, I've done this before, right? Now I can go after some of my more aggressive performance goals. Um, That's, I think, something that I see the expectation that a lot of runners have about the very first time that they race a new distance. And typically this means going up in distance, right? So running farther than you've ever run before, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to perform in a certain way, right? You know, sub two or bust, like I've got to get that five hour marathon. Or like if I don't run that, whatever, whatever your goal is, look, you are just running the very first time you run that distance. I want you to perform well. I want you to perform strong, but I also want you to practice your feeling and hydration. And I want you to practice your pacing strategy. I want you to be a bit more conservative and I want you to just see what it's all about. Have a good time so that you do want to do it again. Okay, so I know that goal setting uh, and all of this is tricky and we wrap up a lot of emotions into our goals about, you know, trusting the process, being able to sustain the pace that we want to sustain and what it means about ourselves as runners if we can't run the pace or if we can run the pace. And and we talked about that in some recent episodes. I will also say that is a huge part of what we do in group coaching is we talk about goal setting pacing strategy, talking through the courses that you're running. So if you're looking for extra support, group coaching might be for you. But this is also something that I think is just part of the process of running is that there are no guarantees and you're never going to get one. And every time you step up to a start line and you're trying to do something you've never done before, there is going to be an element of of doubt. Um, that's normal. And even elite runners do this as well. You know, I think it's, I think it's, easy to look at people who run fast and think, oh, they just must have it figured out. Like when they run great races, they must have, they must have zero doubts or any, you know, issues or challenges. No, everybody, everybody has those normal human, like I am trying to do something I've never done before. Of course, I'm a little freaked out by it. Now, hopefully you are more confident in the training and over time as your experience with racing grows and you develop that skill set, you will be able to manage those situations more effectively. But every time that you try to do something you've never done before, you're going to have that element of doubt. And I don't want you to think of that as a defect. I want you to understand that that is very normal. Right. So to bring it all back, if I'm only running easy in my training, how will I sustain my race pace on race day? Well, because you're if you have chosen an appropriate range of paces based on your current fitness, which hopefully you know of, if not run a tune up race, the systems that you are putting in place as a runner with that aerobic capacity building is going to help you sustain the pace that you want to run on race day. But remember, the first time you run a new distance, it is simply about getting acquainted with the distance, running a strong race, getting the skill set, starting to develop the skill set of what it means to race that distance. And then over subsequent training cycles, you can start to really dial down into those hyper-specific performance goals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
All right. Another question about racing. I have a 10 mile race coming up. Should I taper for this distance? Um, this person doesn't say if it's like their goal race or if it's just a random race that they're doing for fun. You should always taper for the big race, right? So if you are training for a very specific race, if you're training for 12, 16, 24 weeks for a race, of course you need to taper for that race. That is the end of your race specific training cycle. It is a part of your training cycle. Your taper is a part of your training cycle and you need to taper. In what I call fun run situations, right? You're not really training for anything. You are just kind of jumping into this race, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I have worked with runners where sometimes we go through what I call just like seasons of racing and not in like a, you know, elite sense of the word, right? We're not going over to diamond league, (laughs) but basically taking a couple months and just participating in a couple different races, just kind of carrying over current fitness and having fun kind of variety of distances. I would probably do a mini taper, um, for this, right? So maybe just kind of reducing your training load a little bit the week of your race, definitely not trashing your legs, uh, leading up to the race, probably want to reduce any heavy lifting that you're doing the day before the race, probably just do a little shakeout run instead, but it also depends on what else you're training for. So if you are doing this in the context of marathon training or half marathon training, um, you're going to need to make sure that this race is additive to your, uh, to your training process instead of, um, instead of taking something away, right? So in most cases, when people ask me, can I run this race in training? Honestly, most of the time my answer is yes. You just need to make sure that it is, um, that things are accommodating that race, right? So here's an example. If you are currently training for a half marathon and on the weekend that you're going to be running this 10 mile race, it just called for a 10 mile easy run instead, but you're going to race it. Um, you need to understand that the way that the training plan has been written, it was to accommodate a a certain amount of training load, right? So to assume that you're going to run that 10 mile run, probably at an easy effort and maybe a little, like a fast finish, maybe a little progression, not quite sure which training plan you might be following in this hypothetical situation. If you decide to race the 10 mile race, you have now significantly increased the training load for that week because you have jacked up the duration and intensity of that run, even though the volume of the week has not changed. I think people get really confused about this. So let's say that week you were supposed to run 30 miles total, right? And 30 miles and you had, you know, a workout and this and that, you know, and so it was set up, you had this volume with and this kind of load, right? Training intensity, duration. If all of a sudden you turn a 10 mile easy run into a 10 mile race, the volume stays the same for that week, but oh my goodness, did the intensity and the training load just, just go way, way up. Is that a problem? Probably not as long as you manage it correctly. So I would probably depending on what you're trying to accomplish in this situation, probably do a little taper right into the race. Doesn't have to be crazy. Just kind of like a little decrease in a couple days before the race to that shakeout run before the race, instead of a, you know, six miles or whatever you're supposed to do instead. Um, and then the following week, you are probably going to need a couple extra days of recovery. So instead of diving right back in to like, Oh, but on Tuesdays I do speed work. Well, maybe on this Tuesday, you're actually just doing a recovery run instead. Now, I have an entire episode just on tapering. If you want to go listen, it's back in season two. We talk about tapering um, and kind of what it is and what it isn't and how to do it. It is more focused on end of cycle tapers, right? So not mid-cycle tapers or um, uh, just kind of fun run if you were to taper for a fun run. Remember, the goal of the taper 
when we're tapering for anything is to reduce our cumulative fatigue and help our legs feel fresh that we can be at our best fitness on race day. So it also depends on how important this race is to you, right? If you are trying to squeeze like a super peak performance out of yourself, or if you are just going in and having some fun, right? You're going to race it, but you're not super concerned that your legs are a little heavy from the other training that you've been doing right now. So definitely a big, it depends question. Like I said, in, in many situations, when I work with athletes and they want to run, uh, you know, come with some races that are outside of their a race calendar in most situations, we can make it work. Um, but there are of course some exceptions and that really does have to do with how close you're getting to races. Like I said about those tune-up races in the question about the half marathon pace. Um, yeah, do, I would highly recommend not racing, in the four, maybe even five weeks preceding your goal race, right? Because you your focus is on your goal race at that point, And you want to make sure you're preparing for your goal race, not trying to recover from that race you did in training. Here's a good question. I'm sure a bunch of you probably had this one. What is the importance, if any, of varying your run distances during the week, except for long run? Um, it is, for some runners not going to be important at all. And for some runners, it's very important. And this, I think we want to focus less on distance here. And I'm going to reference back training load, right? So how much load, how much training stress are we putting on our bodies on any given day? Well, we know about how the human body adapts, right? Is something called general adaptation syndrome. You And this is when you apply a stressor, right? You do something, um, you recover from that thing, and the recovery actually allows you to become slightly fitter. So you may have seen graphics that I've done on this. um, And basically this says that you get, you gain fitness during the recovery period, not during the actual session itself. So if I go for an hour long run, I'm not getting fitter during that run. I'm getting fitter in my recovery from that run. So what we want to make sure is that when we are developing a training plan for an athlete, that we are appropriately um, planning and spacing out sessions of work with adequate recovery, kind of stress and recover, stress and recover, and also in different amounts, and then kind of throughout the week. And that also dials, it feeds into a, a concept called progressive overload, which means that as you adapt to become fitter, you're going to need a slightly more challenging stimulus to continue to feed that adaptation, right? Because once you become accustomed to something, so here's an example. Almost everybody listening to this podcast can relate to this. When you started and you were a brand new runner, right? Maybe I'll tell you my story. I couldn't run a mile. Very first time I went for a run, I could not run a mile. Within a couple of weeks, I was running two to three miles at a time too fast, too hard. Yes, but I could do it, right? So my fitness, I adapted. If I'd continued to only run one mile at a time, I would have adapted to that. And if I never made my training more challenging or increased my distance, eventually I would just kind of stop progressing, right? So we have to continually, strategically make sure that we are progressing our training over time to match our continued rate of adaptation. As people get confused about this and say, does that mean my training needs to get challenging and more challenging and more challenging and more challenging every week or continually? No. 
No, not necessarily. Um, and no, because you need cutback weeks, you need down weeks every couple of weeks in your training, right? Your training is cyclical, not just in the individual training week that you do, right? You have some weeks, some days that are harder, some days that are longer than others. You have, but you have recovery between those days. Then you have a recovery, you know, cutback week in your training um, phase. And then after your race, you have a recovery period, right? So it's very cyclical, right? We stress and recover, stress and recover in the short kind of medium and long term as we zoom out, right? At 30,000 foot view. But what this means is that runs of different durations and intensities provide a different training stimulus and, and spur different types of adaptations um, and also require different amounts of recovery time, right? So for a runner who was running, let's say four times a week, right? You have a long run, you have one workout, you have two easy runs. So you have two regular easy runs, you have one, one workout, and you have one longer run, which is probably going to be mostly easy on most weeks. Um, we already know just by defining the, separating out the easy run versus the workout, both of those runs. So let's say we're actually gonna put numbers behind this, right? So let's say that uh, your easy runs are uh, 50 minutes in duration each. And your workout is about an hour long total. Um, and then you have your long run. Let's like, let's say it's 90 minutes, two hours. Um, so that we know, right, a 50 minute easy run is a different training stimulus than an hour long workout because you are, and it's not just that it's 10 minutes longer. It's that the training intensity of the workout is, is different, is more and will require more recovery than an easy effort run. And so when we are planning out our training weeks and understanding, and look, you're not supposed to be like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know the philosophy or the theory behind why my training plan structure the way it is. It's fine. You don't need to. And there are huge debates and schools of thought about why we write plans the way we do and, and, you know, what systems we're trying to uh, adapt and all these types of things, right? Broadly speaking, in many situations, you are going to need to provide to you're going to need to provide different stimuli to your body to create different adaptations throughout your week. Now, the flip side to this is that there actually might be periods of your training where you are going to be running kind of the same thing most days if you're in a base building phase. But even then, you're probably going to want to vary the length of that. And for that really comes with, let's say you have a, a regular easy run. And then depending on how much you're running, if you're running five or six days a week, you're going to have runs in your week that are scheduled to be recovery runs. They're going to be shorter. They're going to be ultra easy. They're going to be easier and shorter than your regular easy runs. This is because we're trying to adapt, we're trying to do something different, right? We're, we're doing that, perp, the, that run serves a very specific purpose. The other thing too about, and this happens a lot, and people send me the craziest training plans that somebody's written for them. And your your sister's boyfriend's cousin who ran D2 in school 12 years ago probably shouldn't be writing your marathon training plan. I don't know. Maybe they actually know what they're talking about, but the stuff I get is super weird. If you, I've seen this a lot, um, and, and, and when you think about it from a certain angle, it technically makes sense, but I can tell you it's categorically wrong. I've seen people develop training plans, bad training plans, wrong training plans like this. Okay, let's say I'm trying to run a half marathon. And so this week, week one, I'll run two miles every day. And then the next week, I'll run three miles every day. And the following week, I'll run four miles every day. Like home, by, by the way, that is a very, that's a great way to get injured. And that's a terrible way to train for a half marathon, right? So that's not actually how you progress your training. In that situation, yeah, a little variety is going to be the spice of life and actually is going to help you absorb the training you're trying to do 
better and more efficiently and also where's your long run. Um, but when we are talking about the way that your training is developed in your week, you may go through periods, depending if you're a newer runner, if you're doing some sort of base building, where most of your runs during the week are going to be roughly similar in length, right? Because maybe you haven't developed the capacity to do longer, you know, regular runs. So if you're, you know, if you're three, four miles at a time, and that's your great kind of solid, easy effort run, that's great. Most of your easy effort runs are probably going to be in the three to four mile range until over time you build up the capacity to run further, to run longer, to run more, whatever the development and the progression of your specific training plan looks like in that, in that phase of training and what you're trying to currently accomplish. And the other thing I will say is that, um, you will, of course, like I said, need to progress this over time. So if you are Let's say, and this happens to all the people who have been used to kind of running, they run for fitness, right? They run for health, and then they transition into wanting to train for a race, right? So race-specific performance, when you're training for a race, and race performance simply means I have a very specific goal that I'm trying to accomplish, right? It's not health or fitness related. It is I'm trying to run this distance or I'm trying to run this distance in this time. But if you're coming from a place of health and fitness and you say, you know, I just run three miles, three or four times a week. And in the long run, I run on the weekend, I run for longer. That's great. Um, but at some point that needs to become more challenging because your body's adapted, right? Going back to general adaptation syndrome over time, you're probably fairly, very well adapted to that. And your body actually needs a more challenging stimulus in order to continue to get additional benefits. Now, what are those benefits? Probably performance oriented, right? If you're running three to four miles, three miles, three to four times a week and doing a long run on the weekend, like those are awesome health benefits, right? But if you want to progress in your performance oriented uh, fitness, you're going to need to make that more challenging, right? And that's when we would increase start. And this is the thing. We'd also want to blanket increase everything all at the same time, right? We want to strategically kind of increase and, and manipulate because if I were to just do that, oh, two miles, then three miles and four miles and five miles, right? Week over week over week, I you would end up with huge increases to your training load and volume in an incredibly short period of time, which like I said, is a great way to get injured. So one of the other reasons that runs do end up varying throughout the week is not just for the stress and recovery process in the individual week, but also so that we can strategically continue to add, uh, make things more challenging that aren't going to overload you. And you're going to, you probably see this. And if you followed any of my training plans, a really great example of this is when you look at week over week, you will notice that some weeks, one or two of your runs will increase in volume, but the rest stay the same. And then over time, everything kind of like you know, kind of inches up, inches up, inches up. So you might have one week where your Wednesday run is five miles and the next week it's six. And that, and that's one of the only thing that's changed from week to week. Uh, so yeah, so this is all kind of the, the short answer is, um, you probably should have runs of varying lengths throughout the week, but how, why, and when are going to be dependent on what you're trying to accomplish in your current phase of training. All right. This question is a really good one. Non-specific to race training, but how does running in sand improve fitness? Like a beach. So just because something is harder doesn't necessarily mean that it's more effective or it's more beneficial. And running on sand is harder than running on not sand. Um, running, and depends on what kind of sand you're running on. Are you running in shoes on a wet hard pack sand? Or are you running 
barefoot in like the super soft sand up at the top of the beach. Um, running in sand is harder because it's a soft surface. It you know can range from softer to very soft, and uh, it is going to require more energy expenditure for you to to stabilize yourself on the on this on the soft surface but because your foot sinks into the sand and it kind of traps more of your energy you also need more energy to propel yourself forward so running on the sand is harder than running on non-sand and again just because something's harder doesn't necessarily mean it's more effective it's also a great deal more stressful on your muscles, ligaments, and tendons in your lower leg. Your feet, your ankles, your knees are working extra hard to propel you through that sand. And so, you know, if you are on vacation and you're like, I'm going to do my long run on the beach, please, for the love of God, do not do that. Unless you are an experienced beach runner, Make sure go for a run on the beach. Just like be really cognizant that that beach is going to be a huge challenge for your body, right? So I'm not, we're not talking about like, you know, aerobically talking musculoskeletally. We're talking about your actual structural components. It's, and it's going to be harder (laughs) and it's going to be harder. Okay. And additionally, if you're the kind of person who's prone to plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, yeah, I'd absolutely avoid running in the sand um, because of how you're going to sink into the sand uh, and, and the extra force required and extra force is going to be put on those tendons that could cause some issues, right? And I know it's very sexy and kind of lovely to think about like, oh, I want to go run on the beach. Go run on the boardwalk. Go run on the boardwalk if you want those views. Um, Yeah, so sand, I'm not demonizing sand. I'm just telling you to be really careful. Uh, And if you are the kind of person who's like, why is, why does sand feel so much harder? Like you're, you're sure walking on sand walking on sand is hard running on sand is even harder than that so you know again it when we kind of the i guess the theme of this episode is balancing training load right so if you if you make a session harder than it was originally intended to be you've increased your training load and then you will from because of that session and that session will require more recovery time and i also just want you to make smart decisions in your training as a runner uh there are ways to include things like running on the sand in your training, as long as you're doing it in a really smart way. And that typically means not diving into new things and doing a whole bunch of new stuff all at once. So, you know, one of the huge ways we get in trouble as runners is we do too much too soon, right? Big changes overnight. So if you go from running everything on asphalt to the treadmill, and then you go run four times uh, in a row on the beach at, on vacation, yeah, you're probably going to have some issues with that. Like I'm, I'm going to almost guarantee you're going to have some problems um, and you're going to feel it and that's not going to be fun. That's going to interrupt your training. So um, yes, I, again, not to say that you shouldn't run on a beach. It's just that I wouldn't automatically assume that running on a beach is going to be more effective than running on a different surface. And I'm not even going to get into the whole soft surface injury thing. That's like an entire podcast episode alone because research is actually fascinating about that. Uh, but yes, if you are interested in running on the beach, I would actually start by going for a walk on the beach first, maybe for a couple days in a row to allow your body to get used to that kind of surface before you go for a short, easy effort run, right? A couple miles, don't go crazy. And then slowly, slowly, slowly work your way up from there. The last question Words of wisdom slash encouragement for running my first ever marathon. 
what I wish somebody had told me before my first marathon, I wish that I had been uh, <clears throat> told two things. One, you need to fuel during your marathon. And of course, you should be practicing that in training. I ran my first marathon um, fasted and uh, oh boy, did I hit the wall. Oh, I hit the wall so hard. It was awful. Oh my God. Um, don't be me. Don't hit the wall. Fuel during your race. And the other thing that, uh, and I've talked about this before on another episode about pacing, is that the first, well, obviously, what like I said earlier in this episode, first time you race a new distance, you're simply getting acquainted with that distance, right? So yes, you may have an idea of what your general pace range should be, but you are there to just be like, what's up? What's this all about? I'm going to go find out. Um, is that the first part of your marathon, especially when you are just getting acquainted with the distance, you really, you do not want to go out too fast. You absolutely do not want to go out too fast. The first part of your marathon, for those of you who have never run one before, the first part of your marathon should feel unbelievably comfortable, right? So we're not necessarily in our easy zone. I think that's a big distinction because I really messed myself up in one of the marathons that I ran um, that I was like, oh, the first part of this race should feel easy. And when it didn't feel easy because I wasn't in my easy pace, I was running at marathon pace, I kind of freaked out and had a meltdown. The first part of your marathon should be very, very, very comfortable. You do not want to do any pushing in the marathon for the first 10 miles, right? Now, of course, the more experienced you become, you understand what this means, right? But I want to impress upon you that in your first marathon, you are literally about to run a marathon, right? I don't want you to think about what's coming ahead in the race, but I want you to say, I'm taking this mile by mile and the first set of miles I'm going to run, you know what? They're going to be super comfortable. No pushing. I'm staying hydrated. I am staying fueled, right? And that's going to allow me to continue mile by mile, keep going and going and going and going until you reach the end. The other thing that's pretty amazing about the human body and about marathons specifically is that it's, you are... (laughs) you are going to be unbelievably amazed by what you can do after that training. And I know this freaks a lot of people out. You don't run anything close to a marathon before you run a marathon for most people. Um, you know, the, the farthest you might run in training is 16 miles or 18 miles or 20 miles. And I know people put a huge amount of pressure on themselves to run a 20 mile race in tra- a 20 mile uh, long run in training. Um, but here's the thing though, is that you're still not even close to running 26.2, right? So it's not about the distance of one specific long run. It's about the entirety of the training that you do and doing training that's appropriate for you and your body. The farthest I ever ran before my first marathon was 14 and a half miles in a run. Um, and I, I, I finished, I, and I ran a marathon, right? You can do it. Now I would have run a better marathon if I'd been fueled, right? So back to lesson number one, fuel your marathon, but you, your body, you are capable of doing amazing things. And I think once you see that, going back to the 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 episode, the question about race pace and marathons and you know how will I know and you know kind of the, the what we feel about you know our being able to trust the process and believe in ourselves and all of that. Is this what it really comes back to is that there is a certain magic. It's not magic, it's science, but it is a bit magic. It feels magic. When you do something on race day that you've never done before, you've never done in training, like you never even came close to running that far or that fast or that long, whatever it was, and you do it, it is an unbelievable feeling. And the thing is that you can, you can do this. 
I know that you can. That's why we train, right? That's why we're serious about this. That's why we listen to podcasts about running in our spare time is because we want to feel that way. We want to create these miracles for ourselves through, of course, our incredibly hard work and sweat and sometimes blood and also tears. But that is why we do it. Because when we dedicate ourselves to this process, it feels like we're actually doing things that almost feel unbelievable. And I think for anybody who's who spent a certain time in this sport and kind of looked back at their journey and remembering what it felt like when you were newer about the, the uh, goals that you had or the fears that you had or the things that felt really hard, and I, you've probably blown right past those and not even thought about it. And it's just so cool to see what we are capable of in these situations. So I wish you all the best of luck in your marathon. The first of many, I hope. All right, everyone, it's going to do it for me for this week. We are back next week with starting with guests again. I have a whole slate of amazing guests lined up. I actually kind of like, I think we're going to do another we're going to do quarterly, quarterly Q&A episodes. Um, of course, just a quick reminder, if you are looking for help training for any race or achieving any sort of running goal, we have that available for you. Training plans, training plus, group coaching, one-on-one coaching, it is all there for you. So I will see you guys next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.